The very funny, Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney has a new show, everyone. It is called John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that will stream live on Netflix live during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. Yes, it is a comically unconventional show that will feature special guests. I'm very excited for this. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A. debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time only on Netflix. At Third Love, bras can be sexy and comfortable. And they have a great fit you guide on the website that I use to get the perfect fit. That's right. You can solve every problems. Get it? It's a problem, Jenna. It's a bra problem. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. I got it. With Third Love. Well, you know what? Here's what the problem they solved for me were two things. They solved my saggy strap problem and the fact that I'm a little bit of an extra in my cup size and they have bras in half cups. I love Third Love. It's time to get your problem solved. Use code PODCAST15 for $15 off your order at thirdlove.com. Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the ultimate Office rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind the scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hello, everybody. Hi, you guys. We have a very exciting episode today. It is season four, episode 15 night out. Yeah, we traveled, we went on the road, there was locations and tons of extras. This was a big production for us. Very little happens in the office. (laughs) That's right. Well, this was written by Mindy Kaling, directed by Ken Whittingham. And today, we have a surprise. I'm not reading the summary again today. Jenna's going to skip out on her duties. Sorry. Jeez, I mean, I know. Was I throwing you shade a little bit? Skip out. Well, we have a super fan who wanted to read the summary for today's episode. It's Terry Carnation. Terry, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan, as you previously stated, of Office Women podcast and you, Jennifer Fisher and Angel, um... Everything that you guys do and uh, this show, which is just so hysterically funny. This episode in particular, I'm so thrilled to be summarizing for your listening pleasure. Well, we're happy to have you, Terry. Yes. Thank you. Angela, not Angel, but I appreciate. Of course, Angela, but you are an angel. (laughs) After all, let's not forget. Oh, excellent. Well, should I jump right in, office women? Please, let's do it. Excellent. This uh, episode is entitled Night Away, and it is an excellent episode uh, that features um, James Halpert and um, and his wife, Pamela, and they are striving to consummate their relationship. And um, apparently there's a young fellow named Dwight Scruti and his his best friend, Scott Michael. They are running across New York City in this episode. Um, it, it seems that Ryan has gotten into a little trouble with the devil's candy. And by that, I mean that fierce little lady, cocaine. T- Terry, I have a question. 
Have you seen this episode? I haven't seen this episode in particular. I have seen an episode of this show, and this is my theory, if I may share it with you too. About the office? The building is possessed. Why else would the people inside it act the way they do? Why would this delightful Pamela fall in love with that floppy-haired misfit, James Halpert? It makes no sense. People behaving in just absurd ways. The building is possessed. The building itself may be a demon. And Dwight Scrooge himself may be some kind of dibic or homunculus. You think there's paranormal activity. In fact, several members of the office might be from hell. I am here merely to speculate. I am saying that perhaps there is a story underneath the story. Yes, this is a light comedy about co-workers. Hardy har har. But underneath it all, there may be something far more nefarious. Wow. Terry, how many episodes have you seen? Just the one? I am planning on starting to watch this show as soon as we finish this podcast, because it is bewitching me. It has bewitched me. Okay. So you haven't seen any episodes then? I have not. And have you listened to any episodes of Dark Air with Terry Carnation? No, you have not. So we're even Stephen. Okay, well, I... I, I don't think... I think we've... That show, Even Stevens, I have watched. Every episode of Even Stevens. Okay. Well, Terry, um, I think there might have been a miscommunication with your agent. Big fan. Huge fan. Thank you so much for having me, Office Women, and all of the listeners. Thank you for enjoying this show and these two delightful young women as they share their inner torment with you on a weekly basis. Thank you, Terry Carnation. And I'm sure everyone will want to check out Dark Air. It's going to premiere April 1st on Audio Boom. Terry, we'd love to have you back if you ever start watching the show. Hmm. If you watch an episode, let us know. I really should do that. It looks fascinating. Well, thank you, Terry. There is one young accountant blonde woman who I find very intriguing. <laughs> oh, boy. Really? <laughs> Fictionally speaking, thank you for having me, Office Women. Thank you, Terry. Goodbye, Terry. Goodbye. Lady, he'd never seen the show. I don't. He had no idea what we were talking about. He also sounded suspiciously like Rain Wilson. He really did. He really did. He called me Angel. Well, that was an adventure. We tried something new. That was exciting and um confusing. I feel like we have some phone calls to make after we're done. Yeah, I feel like we're going to text some people. Um, all right. Should we get into this episode? Should you actually read a summary? I'd be happy to. A lonely Michael and Dwight go to New York City to party with Ryan and meet ladies. In the meantime, the Scranton employees work late to avoid working over the weekend, but they wind up getting locked into the Scranton Business Park. And Terry did get this part right. Ryan may have a drug problem. Oh, man. Yeah. What are your fast facts? Here's a fast fact for you, Ange. I thought we could do a little breakdown of our guest star, Troy Underbridge. This is his second appearance on the show. You guys know he first showed up in the deposition. He is played by Noel Peacock, and we reached out to him. Yes, we did. And Noel was so sweet. He sent in a bunch of audio clips, and he had some fun stories to share with us. Well, the first thing we wanted to know, we asked a lot of our guests, how did he get the job on The Office? And here's what he had to say. Hello, office ladies. This is Noel Peacock. And I don't recall really Allison Jones ever 
having the audition, I actually started the whole process doing background through central casting. So I did, I think, just one episode where I did background. I was not really goofing off, but acted like I was kind of goofing off texting on a phone. I was kind of the posse of Ryan, E.J. Novak's character, and had a good time doing it. I mean, just enjoyed the process. And later down the line, I had gotten a phone call from the assistant director, and she said she had spoken to Allison Jones and asked me if I'd like to appear on a couple episodes here and there. But um, I didn't actually audition. They just kind of offered me the role, and I gladly accepted. So, Angela, when I was a struggling actor, I did tons of background work in the hopes that someone would sort of discover me and give me a speaking role. It never happened. It's super rare. But it did happen on our show. I mean, that's literally how Creed ended up becoming a series regular on our show. He started doing background work. And it's just something that I kind of like about our show. Yeah, me too. And this was also true for some of our warehouse employees that really just started as background characters. And then as years went by, they got to have speaking parts. And as an actor, that is so thrilling. But I love that Noel was there and that they went on to use him in several episodes. Well, that was due in large part to Mindy Kaling. And he actually talks about that in this next audio clip. You know, Mindy wrote this episode. Mm -hmm. So here's what he had to say. There is most definitely one person I'd like to thank who actually, I believe, wrote my character originally, and that is Mindy, who came up with the character, and she kind of came through in the office and ended up getting her own show, and Mindy is incredible. She's so sweet and smart, and I've got to thank Mindy for writing up this character, which was a blast to play. So sweet. I love that. Me too. Well, we have even more audio clips from Noel that we're going to share later in the show. And he is just the nicest guy. It was so nice to get to reconnect with him. Yeah. All right, my lady, what is your next fast fact? My next fast fact is a location breakdown because we got some fan questions from Abby, Lana, and Natalie, who would like to know, was this episode filmed in an actual nightclub? And Mariah Kay asked, are they different clubs? You know, the guys go to two different clubs. Yeah, yeah. Did we film in different locations or is it just two rooms in the same building? Well, I'll tell you guys. Tell us. In the episode, Michael and Dwight and Ryan and Troy, they go party at clubs in New York City. These club scenes were all filmed in downtown Los Angeles at the Edison Nightclub. Now, the Edison nightclub is really big, and they had several different rooms, and they dressed them to look like two different clubs. So we only went to one location, and we knocked it all out, and they filled the club with all background actors. But Ange, the Edison actually has a very cool history. The nightclub? Yes. Have you ever been there? Not only have I never been there, I've never heard of it, <laughs> and I've lived in L.A. for over 20 years now. And if that tells you my hip factor... I had never heard of this nightclub. Me either. Angela, the only nightclub I've ever been to and have still ever been to is the one you took me to for my bachelorette party. That's it. <laughs> that was so crazy. <laughs> and I had never heard of that one. Remember, that was like a friend of a friend who was like trying to help me plan a night out for you. Okay, go on. Well, the Edison nightclub is in a historic building. 
It's called the Higgins Building, and it was the site of L.A.'s first private power plant. How about that? In downtown L.A.? Yeah. Wow. But here's the most interesting part, at least to me. They have a dress code because, quote, we are dedicated to a resurgence of old world style and a sense of romance that once dominated Los Angeles nightlife. So the nightclub, you have to look like fancy, like you got to wear suits and dresses and whatnot. Well, I think that's what they're hoping for. Basically, after 9 p.m., there are certain things you cannot wear. So here's the list of things you cannot wear. Why do I feel like this is going to rule me out? Oh, yeah, because listen to the first thing you can't wear. Athletic wear. Oh, no. All my athleisure wear. This includes shorts, jerseys, hoodies, and baseball caps. So Josh can't go. I can't go. Mm -mm. You also can't have a backpack. Oh. You cannot wear flip-flops, sandals, short sleeve shirts, or excessively torn or baggy jeans. Short sleeve shirts? That's interesting. I mean, it gets hot here. Sorry. Don't know what to tell you. But if you would like to go to the location where we film Night Out, you can go. But dress spiffy. There you have it, folks. And lady, that's all I got. I know I normally do three fast facts, but Terry ate up a lot of our time, and I think we should just go to a break and come back and get into this episode. Are you using Terry to cover up the fact that you don't have three fast facts? We'll see you after this break. (laughs) (laughs) So this winter... We went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can use Squarespace to create a website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to time, all in one place. Well, we've told you before that we use Squarespace for our Office Ladies website, and It is so user-friendly, so easy to use. We are not tech people, and we could not be happier with our experience. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash officeladies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, we all carry around different stressors. Some are big, some are small. I know I keep mine kind of bottled up. And it can start to affect us. Well, therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You can finally get a chance to talk about all those stressors. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OfficeLadies today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OfficeLadies. Okie dokie, we are back, and I have to point out one thing before we get into the episode breakdown. What is it? I'm going to see if you notice. Listeners, you won't be able to see this, but Milady over Zoom is looking at something. I don't know if she's going to notice. I'm flipping through my document that I prepared for the week, and there are no sticky notes. There is nothing, like, taped. What is it? I did none of my crazy taping pieces of paper and sticky notes, I downloaded the document into a Word document. Yes. And I typed in my stuff instead of writing it on stickies and sticking it all over. Modern times. And how did it feel, Angela, to have just pieces of paper without things crafted to it? I really don't know how I feel about it. I'm really on the fence and I'll tell you why I did it. You guys, this isn't really how my brain works. I am a sticky note person. I stick them all over the place. But here's the thing. You guys know that I'm currently sitting in my husband's closet on a tiny table we drug in from one of the boys' bedrooms. It's like not even an actual desk. That means I have no countertop. I have no place for note cards and all my little pieces of paper I like. I loved it when we were in the studio. Hopefully, we'll be able to go back there. But because of counter space, it forced me to become more tech savvy and (laughs) type it all into one document. I am also excited to soon get back into the studio, I hope. But I will say, sometimes you had so many note cards that it encroached on my space. (laughs) And I couldn't even fit an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper on the desk because of your note cards. So I would love to see some maybe hybrid form A hybrid for you, because that'd be super cool for me. But lady, you do you. You bring it every week to the podcast, and your method is your method. And I support it, even (laughs) if it means I don't have room for a single sheet of paper. Well, I had to call it out, because if I completely suck in this episode, it's because I don't have my stickies. And I'm like, (laughs) wait, what did I write? Where's that? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. So let's kick it off. At one second, we have a blooming planet reception. Another bloom, a beautiful pinkish bloom. I don't know what it is. Michael enters in a huff. He's disheveled. His hair looks weird. Yes, we find out that he saw something shiny under Stanley's car. He wiggled under the car to try and get it and in the process got gum in his hair. Yeah. And now Dwight's on the case. How do we get the gum out of the hair? Pam mentions there's peanut butter in the kitchen. Not the good peanut butter, though. She says, yeah, people will get mad. Don't use the organic peanut butter. But that's what Dwight uses. He slathers it all over Michael's head. I mean, obviously, we're parents. We know you just have to put it on the gum part. You don't have to, like, shampoo your hair with peanut butter. And then he starts massaging his scalp. I mean, Dwight puts it all over his head. It's ridiculous. So I couldn't help but wonder, Jenna, what was that stuff that they put on Steve's head? What was that? Well, you're not the only person with that question, Angela. Emily, Kira, Leslie, and Ziana also wrote in asking, what did they put on Steve's hair? And I will tell you, it was real peanut butter. 
But rain did not put it on Steve's head. It was our hairstylist, Kim Ferry. She would get it all set. And then Rain would step in and just do kind of like that last little touch Mm -hmm. and then do the massaging part. And then she'd have to fix it between takes. And I found out that it only took a few takes to get this part of the scene. And afterwards, they scheduled a scene that Steve was not in so that he could go back to the hair and makeup trailer and get his hair all washed out. Kim had to like shampoo it. Oh, yeah. In our hair and makeup trailer, you guys, they had like a traditional, you know, in a hair salon that sink you lean back in because it's got the little divot cut out, you know? Yeah. They had a thing like that. So they could wash your hair if you needed your hair washed. But the water was not very warm. Oh, it was ice cold. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Angela, I'll have you know that I did a mini deep dive on the best ways to get gum out of your hair. Look at you, lady. You go. Well, peanut butter is the number one recommended solution for gum and hair. But I did find more. Everybody listen up. You can also use baby oil, cooking oil, Vaseline, adhesive remover, mayonnaise, baking soda with water, lemon juice, white vinegar, ice. I guess you can freeze it out and then it like breaks up. But here was my personal favorite. And I know my dad loves it too. (laughs) WD-40. I mean, there's just, there's nothing WD-40 can't do. It solves every problem. You know what? I felt the same way when you said Vaseline. That was our family go-to. I mean, just put some Vaseline on it. You know, if you just have some baby oil, Vaseline, and WD-40 in your house, you can solve almost every problem. Yeah, you're set. So that was our cold open. Now we're going to get into the episode. Michael arrives at work, and I guess he had a date last night because Dwight asked him how it went. We find out it did not go well. Actually, he shares that none of his dates have been going well, and he feels like they all lack a bit of a a certain Crawfordness. Yeah, but there's more bad news. Mm -hmm. Everyone finds out that they have to come in on Saturday. And this is not a joke this time. This is not Michael setting the stage for a dinner party trap. This is real. We have to work on Saturday. Yeah, Oscar is livid. Angela says it's ridiculous. There's a lot of hubbub in the bullpen because they find out on Saturday they're going to have to take all of their hard work, all of the sales they made, and they're going to have to give the credit to the website. They're going to log it all in as if the website did it. Yeah. Jenna, there's a scene in accounting. You know, Oscar's saying he's livid. Angela says this is ridiculous. There is a series of deleted scenes. Jenna, it's a runner between Pam and Angela. What is it? Well, apparently, for whatever reason, this is one of those days where Angela just hates Pam. (laughs) Like, just the sound of your voice. Okay, so Angela and Oscar are talking, and Pam pokes her head over the partition, right? She wants to get in on the convo. And this is what Angela says. Sam, can you play the clip? So it's definite? Looks like it. Shoot. Jim and I were going to go to the Cherry Blossom Festival this weekend. I'm sorry. Your voice... Over my head like that? Sorry. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? Like, just your voice behind me was more than I could take. Uh, Now that I hear that, I remember shooting that. (laughs) There's going to be another one. I'm going to save it for later. So Ryan has delivered this news, and he's being super upbeat about it, but Jim's going to confront him in the kitchen. Yeah. Jim is like, hey, man. You mind if I run something by you? Ryan, of course, is in his like super, he's just a lot in this episode. He's like, love it, go, right? (laughs) 
And Jim's like, I kind of feel like what we have going for us is our customer service. And no matter how we change this up, I don't know that a website's going to be able to replace that. Ryan goes, I can tell you thought a lot about this. I appreciate that. Thanks. David Wallace does too. You told him at the Christmas party, right? Jim's like, uh, and Ryan's like, yeah, watch your back, Jim. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, Ryan has it out for Jim. You know, here's a bit of trivia. We would have had a Christmas episode, but we didn't because of the writer's strike. I know. I'm so bummed about that. Yeah. So that's why this season does not have a Christmas episode. Yeah. Well, now we move into the conference room and Michael, (laughs) this really made me laugh. He's sort of trying to sympathize with Ryan, why people are feeling resentful towards Ryan. And then he makes this speech. And Jenna, I could not imagine being introduced by my boss for a meeting like this. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? I know that a lot of you are very angry with Ryan because he is the reason we all have to come in tomorrow. However, I swear to God, if any of you hurts him in any way, emotionally, or taunts him, or makes fun of his height, or his half-beard, or... I love his half-beard. I know. If you make fun of his half-beard. I saw Oscar start to break. (gasps) That's huge. Yes. But I know Oscar's tells so well because we sat next to each other for the whole run of the show. So one of the things he does when something makes him laugh, but he's trying not to laugh, is he does this little thing with his head where he kind of nods his head down. Mm. And it's so slight, you guys. It's so slight. But when Michael says the part about the beard, Oscar does that little head nod thing. And I was like, oh, Oscar, I see you. After his lovely introduction, Ryan starts defending Dunder Mifflin 2.0, very passionately. Yeah, and he's going on and on. He knows the website was hacked. He's trying to defend it. Jenna, I have a conference table catch during his speech. What? Four minutes, 30 seconds. There are two coffee mugs on the conference table. Any guesses whose they are? Well, one of them is Pam's pink mug because I saw it. Mm -hmm. I did not notice another one because I only look at myself when I'm watching big group (laughs) scenes. But I did see that I had my mug. So does Jim. Oh. No one else has a coffee mug. Just Jim and Pam. And I started thinking, when did you ever see anyone with a beverage in the conference room except a party? All the time. I always brought my mug into the conference room, Angela, because I could actually drink coffee during the scene. It was a big thing for me. So you know what? You maybe didn't wear your pantyhose, but you also didn't think to bring a beverage into the room. Oh, my gosh. Well, I I guess I kind of have memories of Pam holding her mug, but I couldn't believe it. They both had mugs. I was jealous. Oh, John and I were all over the how can we drink coffee at work. So, yeah, (laughs) don't worry. You're going to see that a lot now. Now that you've spotted it once, it's going to be something you can never unsee. All right, guys, we have something new to track. Who's drinking coffee in conference room scenes? Well, one of my favorite moments in this conference room scene, Angela, is Mindy's line when she says, I have a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? (laughs) I loved it so much. We got a fan question from Jocelyn Sumi who said, this is the line that is most quoted by my family. So I have to know who wrote it. Please tell me it was Mindy Kaling. Yes, Mindy wrote this line. And she was asked about this line in an interview she did with Office Tally. And I loved her answer. Oh, let's hear it. Here's what she said, quote, 
I never intentionally give myself the funniest lines. However, they often resonate as the funniest because of my gifts as a comic actor. (laughs) Sometimes I try to give myself really drab, unfunny lines so as to not steal focus. But even that doesn't work because they always sparkle upon delivery. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard being so fabulous, y'all. But I just loved that. I thought it was really funny. That is really funny. I had a friend when I lived in New York in my 20s. And whenever she'd get a little tipsy, inevitably, she'd say, how dare you? <laughs> like, like, we'd be like, hey, listen, we got to go. I'm, let's get in the cab. Get in the cab. You know what? How dare you? I'm like, okay, you've had enough. <laughs> that was her tell. Yeah, that was her tell. How dare you? What? I just asked you to grab your purse. How dare you? Okay, okay. I have to say another one of my favorite parts of this scene is the slow clap by Michael. Oh, he leads a slow clap as a way of defending Ryan. And I do love it. I thought it was a very bold choice by Michael. <laughs> That's like an iconic movie moment. So, you know, I had to do a mini dive on the slow clap in movies because they are always amazing. <laughs> they never, ever cease to not be amazing. When I went on IMDb and looked up how many movies had a slow clap, there's like a hundred. There's like so many movies. Jenna, sports movies have slow claps. Like law, dramatic movies have slow claps. Comedies have sarcastic slow claps. There are slow claps in every genre. I remember very clearly my introduction to the slow clap. I remember the first movie that I watched with a slow clap. Oh, Lady, we all know the first movie we saw a slow clap in. I mean, what was yours? Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey. Yes, absolutely. Famous slow clap at the tables outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So first of all, I thought the slow clap was like an 80s, 90s movie thing because I remembered it from movies like Lucas, Cool Runnings, Officer and a Gentleman, Scent of a Woman, Rudy. Wait, 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 wait. I have to stop you. There's a slow clap in Officer and a Gentleman and Scent of a Woman? Yes. Oh, Scent of a Woman. It happens in the courtroom. No. Officer and a Gentleman. It happens in the factory. Yes. I'm sorry because it's shocking me because I really only associate the slow clap with 80s teen movies. That's why I was freaking out. They're in dramas. They're everywhere, lady, especially in sports movies. Okay, Rudy, Hoosiers, Revenge of the Nerds, The Breakfast Club, Can't Buy Me Love, as you said, Not Another Teen Movie, Varsity Blues. Get ready for this one. Jersey Girl. Wow. Jersey Girl with Ben Affleck. Anyway, the list goes on and on, you guys. And I really thought it all started in the 80s and 90s. But according to the Internet, I was wrong. The very first slow clap was in 1968 in a movie called The Lion in Winter, starring Peter O'Toole as Henry II. He slow claps to Catherine Hepburn as Eleanor of Aquitaine after her dramatic plea. Wow. I know. I feel like there are subcategories of slow claps. Mm -hmm. Earnest sarcastic, joyous, rally the troops. Yes, inspirational slow clap. Mm -hmm. Angry, smart-ass slow clap. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Well, I found that fascinating, Angela. (laughs) Moving on, I don't know if you want to track this, the lingering hug. Oh. Because that's like the slow clap, a thing. 
Michael is going to employ a lingering hug with Ryan as he says goodbye. And he's just going to say, like, dude, do you know any women you could set me up with in New York? And Ryan says, I don't know anyone specifically, but the women in the clubs in New York are amazing. This is going to give Michael ideas. You can't say something like that to Michael. No. He decides to ask Jim if he'd like to go clubbing. Well, I should say he leads that conversation by asking Jim if he would ever have sex with Meredith and if he thinks Meredith can be discreet. Mm -hmm. But then that leads to, do you want to go clubbing with me in New York? Because they're both single. Right. And Jim's like, I'm dating Pam. And Michael says, oh, that's still going on? (laughs) What? (laughs) So, of course, now Michael has to enlist Dwight. And Andy wants to go. He says the old ball and chain has been more chain than ball lately, if you know what I mean. I don't know what that means, but it grossed me out. And Angela says, I'm right here. Jenna? Yeah? I would like to call this moment, hello, super pregs. Six minutes, 52 seconds, I'm standing at front reception, and you can clearly see my maternity shirt hanging out from under my sweater. I saw it. Uh Uh-huh. And there's a whole blooper that happens right here where I come around from the copier laughing, itching, scratching my enormous belly. (laughs) Well, this all sets the stage for what is going to become Michael and Dwight hitting the town in New York. They found out from Ryan's assistant that he would be at a club called Prerogative. It's the happiest Ryan has ever been to see Michael or Dwight. It's such a funny line because... He's so excited to see them that Michael says, Ryan, it's Michael and Dwight. He's like, I think maybe you haven't seen me clearly. Yeah. He's like, I know it's you guys. And Michael's like, okay. (laughs) Jenna, at eight minutes, 24 seconds, if you love to spot some fun stuff in the background, there's some fantastic background dancing by a guy in a blue button down. He's having the time of his life. I love it. This is also when Ryan is going to introduce us to his friend Troy. And Dwight says, you look like a hobbit. He's actually become sort of obsessed with the idea that Troy might actually be from the world of the Lord of the Rings. This is the crazy thing about Dwight. And he does this again and again throughout the show where he actually believes in some of this fantastical genre. You know, like it's crazy to me, but he's earnest. He really believes he might be a hobbit and have special powers. Yes. And of course, anyone with special powers is of great interest to Dwight. Yeah. I was really charmed, Angela, by Michael's inability to understand what a bottle service waitress does. This reminded me of you and I when we did go to one nightclub and experienced bottle service one time in our lives. What a joke. Okay. (laughs) Like everyone was like, oh, bottle service. And Jenna and I were like, okay, we'd never done this. It's like $200 or something. I just remember we got the bill and we're like, what? And they light up this little like sparklers. They have sparklers and they walk over with a big tray of all of this different type of vodka or something and mixers. Jenna and I don't drink any of that stuff. So it was like, what's the point? I was hoping there'd be snacks or something. No. Like Michael's same problem, there's no snacks. It's just a tray of liquor bottles and mixers. And then here's the thing. Angela, it's $200, but then you have to make your own drinks. What's the point of that? I just 
wanted a cosmopolitan from the bartender. But now I'm trying to make my own drink. I barely know what I'm doing. I was very Michael Scott. I'll say that. I would have loved a glass of maraschino cherries just to eat them. I was so hungry. I would have loved some chicken fingers and a glass of wine. But now we have sparklers for $200. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Michael wanted to order a Midori Sour, which I thought was an amazing callback to the convention season three. Yeah. Remember when Jim and Josh had that inside joke, a shot of Midori, perhaps? I still think Michael thinks that's a drink that you order when you want to be fancy because of Jim and Josh. This is a way Michael and I are similar. I would also (laughs) grab on to a story like that and be like, okay, wait, so when I'm in the club to be cool, order Midori Sour. Got it. And chicken fingers. (laughs) But there's no chicken fingers. You're just going to get a cup of olives. So meanwhile, back in the office, Jim has some ideas. He's a real idea man. Even after the whole birthday thing blew up in his face. His big idea is that if everyone stays late for just a few hours, then they won't have to come in tomorrow. Jim, I hope you were thorough when you decided to suggest this and that you crossed all your T's and dotted your I's because I'm sure people are still pissed off at you about the cakes. I have some news for you. Angela, he did not do any of that. Mm -mm. It turns out that everyone stayed late. And then at 9 p.m. when they decide to leave, they discover that they are locked into the parking lot. Yes, lady, there is a fantastic group shot at 8 minutes, 48 seconds, where it pans everyone as they realize they're locked in. And I just want you to know, at this point, I have reached the point in my pregnancy where I can no longer button up my coat (laughs) and my purse is no longer really hiding my belly. I have more news for you. Not only is the parking gate locked such that they cannot leave, They also cannot return to the comfort of the office because Pam has locked the door from the inside and she doesn't have a key. Mm -hmm. Pam has a talking head that is so great. She said that Dwight has both the master and spare key. And when she asked him how they'd get into the office if he ever died, he responded with, Jenna, you say it. If I'm dead, you guys have been dead for weeks. Yeah. Okay, Dwight. Okay. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in all of this is Stanley when he declares that if he is not in his bath with a glass of wine within the hour, they're both dead. Now, Jenna, that line to me was the closest to Leslie David Baker in real life (laughs) than any other line he ever said on the show, because he and I would talk about how we couldn't wait to get home and take a bath with a glass of wine, with a glass of wine, you know, like soak our muscles. Yes, I thought the same thing, Angela. Well, they get an idea. It's very simple. All we have to do is call the security guard and ask him to come unlock the gate. Yeah. But no one has his phone number and no one can remember his name. Yeah. No one can remember his name, but Toby has his phone number. He has his phone number, but he did not enter his name with the phone number into his phone. So we still have the name dilemma. But Toby does save the day and Pam is very impressed. And it's probably Toby's happiest moment in his whole entire life. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's going to lead him to make a mistake later, but we'll get there. Some really big swings are about to come from Toby. (laughs) (laughs) We had a fan catch from Ben M. and Skylar T. Can we talk about how Creed is the person who knows Hank's name when nobody else seems to know it? He seems like the least likely person who would know anyone's name as it has been established. 
I just loved that. I loved it. And I thought it was actually perfect. I feel like Creed would know Hank's name. I feel like Creed sort of has a person on the inside wherever he is. I mean, how many times has Hank probably had to let Creed in or out of the building? We know he slept there many nights. That's right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, Dwight is really wowing Ryan and Troy about weevil season details. That is a great go-to-break description. Listen to this, because this sounds amazing to me. Ready? Okay. In a world that stops for no one, with life dominated by screens, there's still a place filled with endless reasons to put the phone down and pick up life. Doesn't that sound lovely? Where are we talking about? South Dakota. That's where Lee was born! Really? South Dakota. How did I not know that? I don't know. I didn't know he was born in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. He has family there. Well, South Dakota is a great place to vacation and adventure. You can get worlds away from home in the Badlands, find peace among the pines and the Black Hills, and unwind with each bend of the Missouri River. And if you're looking for love, you might find a Lee there. Oh, my gosh. Made a good fella, South Dakota did. From Sioux Falls to Deadwood, you'll find yourself getting lost in a place that brings you closer to the world around you. You can immerse yourself in the creativity of both contemporary and traditional crafts. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at TravelSouthDakota.com. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, we're back. Dwight is holding court talking about weevil season. Ryan is kind of jittery, says he's got to go to the bathroom again. Dwight is positive he might have a UTI. Yeah, he says, I'll order you some cranberry juice. For his urinary tract infection. Well, this made me wonder. Oh, no. About UTIs or cranberry juice? Both. Okay. Because this is a thing that women are told will help their UTIs. Cranberry juice. I thought it's time to deep dive it. Oh, well, let's hear it. Maybe we'll help people today, Jenna. Perhaps. Perhaps after listening to this podcast, you will not only know when to get a rabies vaccine, but you will also know what to do when you get a UTI. We'll see. Here's the question. Does cranberry juice prevent or cure a UTI? One group of researchers tested cranberry juice cocktail, as this is very easy to find. But wait, are there any real cranberries in the cranberry juice cocktail? Yes, there is some. There's also a lot of sugar. However, the researchers discovered that in Petri dishes, the cranberry metabolites did prevent E. coli from sticking to other bacteria 
therefore limiting its ability to grow and multiply. Huh. In Petri dishes, cranberry juice cocktail did this. But does that translate to the human body? Unsure. What about the super kaduper cranberry juice that's like all organic? You know, the kind you see at the grocery store that has like sediment at the bottom because it's like super healthy, just cranberryness. I wondered the same thing. I could not find a study on that, but I did find a study where they tested cranberry capsules, which would be that same kind of highly concentrated cranberry business. Yeah, yeah. They tested 185 female nursing home residents. They gave them cranberry pills for one year, and they found that there was no statistical significant difference in the presence of bacteria between the people who took the pills and the control group. So at the end of the day, most studies suggest that juice and supplements do not have enough of the active ingredient, which is called A-type proanthocytianins. You heard it. I said it right. Prothacin synonyms. Uh-huh. That's right. To prevent bacteria from sticking to the urinary tract. Therefore, if you think you have an infection, call your doctor, get some antibiotics. And to prevent a UTI, the best things you can do are, ladies, wipe front to back. Always front to back. Pee after sex. And take regular probiotics. I think that's a very solid deep dive on cranberries and UTIs. I hope the listeners of this podcast will experience fewer UTIs and or get their UTI problems solved more quickly after listening to today's episode. Where do we go from there? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess we could go back to the lobby of Dunder Mifflin because guess what? Jim got a hold of Hank. Woohoo! Hank is going to be there in under an hour. Uh. Oscar says, man, we have to make sure we give him a big tip this Christmas. And that's when they realized that no one tipped him last Christmas because Jim was supposed to collect the money from everyone. Well, Jim is really on a roll here. Way to go, Jim. <laughs> Way to go, Jim. You're just ticking everyone off left and right. There are a series of fantastic deleted scenes that all happened in the lobby. There was a much bigger story here, but I think they just ran out of time in the episode. So you guys, there's a second one of Angela just being annoyed at Pam. Sam, can we hear that? You did it. But I have to walk my cats. I'm sure they'll be okay for one night. Stop taking his side. We're not all sleeping with Jim. That's not a nice thing to say. You know what's not nice? Unexercised cats. You know what else is not nice? Coming home and looking into your cat's eyes and seeing nothing but disappointment. That's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, listen to the two of them with their digs back and forth. How about Andy asking everyone to raise their hand and vote on who is the best couple? Pam and Jim or Andy and Angela? And then y'all vote for yourselves, by the way, I noticed. Oh, and Phyllis votes for us, too. So how about them apples? <laughs> Well, there are two more deleted scenes from us all being stuck in the lobby and parking lot that I loved. One, and Jenna, I remember you guys filming this. I don't know if you remember it. One is where Phyllis, Pam, Oscar, and Toby are all huddled up watching a movie on an iPod, and it's about the Boleyn sisters. I do remember that now that you say it. You're holding up like the little headphones each so you can kind of hear. Yes. And you're watching it on an iPod. Do you know how small those screens were? I do remember. Very tiny. Like about the size of a large postage stamp. Yeah. 
Exactly. And another scene that I loved is that Stanley's wife brings him snacks to the fence. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Stanley drinks like a milkshake or something through the mesh fence using a straw. And it's such a cute scene. A lady, should we go back to the club? Oh, it is not going well in the club. Michael has just talked to a young gal who had never even heard of Back to the Future. So Ryan is like, should we go to a club where there's older girls? And Michael's like, yeah. You know, Angela, this got me thinking this whole club thing. Michael's going to relocate to another club to meet a woman. Why isn't Michael doing online dating? Right? They didn't have online dating then. Oh, yes, they did. I looked it up. Oh, you were setting me up. (laughs) What? Seriously? Well, first of all, in an earlier episode, we saw Michael setting up an online dating profile that we never see him use. But I Googled it. The very first online dating site was called Kiss.com, and it launched in 1994. But it was followed the very next year by Match.com, which sort of took over the whole online dating world. But that was 1995. By this time, Michael would have several options. Ashley Madison came on the scene in 2002. OkCupid was 2004. Anyway, I'm just saying he had options that weren't driving to New York and going to weird nightclubs with Ryan. Oh, I know all about the dating sites and the apps because, Jenna, I went viral because my nephew, who was new to Tinder, his friends were like, you need to have a hook so the gals don't swipe right or left. I don't know Tinder, whatever. They swipe or something, right? So my nephew found a like family photo that I was in. And he was like, yeah, that's me and my aunt from the office. And it went viral, right? Because all of a sudden my face is on Tinder. And I had to call my nephews. I have more than one. And I said, hey, guys, I'm just going to blanket statement here to all of you. Don't use a photo of me to help you get laid. Thank you. (laughs) He was horrified and super embarrassed. He took the photo down immediately said that he was really embarrassed his friends talked him into that hook. But guess what? There's a lovely button, wrap-up button to this story. Years later, he in fact met a gal using a fabulous photo just of himself, and they started dating, they got engaged, and they got married. Aww. So look at that Tinder button, the Tinder wrap-up. See, that could have been Michael Scott. Right, but you know what? Michael probably would have done what my nephew did on the first pass and put a photo of like him and a random celebrity he had met. Well, instead, Michael is now in line for a second nightclub, and they're going to run into some problems because they are not allowed to go inside this nightclub unless they have dates. So they're going to team up with a women's basketball team. The Jersey State varsity basketball team looked it up. No such thing. We had a fan question from Cat F., Were the women in line for the nightclub actually basketball players? And if so, were they on a team together in real life? No, they were not a basketball team. They were all hired background performers. They were hired through central casting. Now, the woman that Dwight ends up kissing, she had a speaking role. Her name was Cassie Flegel, and she auditioned for the role through Allison Jones. And she was a former basketball player. 
but I guess the casting notice said they were looking for people who were six foot one or taller. And she is only, I mean, I'm putting only in quotes, five foot 11, but she still got the role because her audition was so good. Well, she looked very tall to me, especially with her heels on. Yeah. But everyone looks very tall to me, so maybe I'm not a good judge. (laughs) Well, back in the parking lot, folks are getting restless. Toby finds a football, wants to know if Pam wants to toss the old ball. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know how to throw a football. He's like, of course you do, because he's completely enamored with her. I know. Of course you do? What? Yeah. Of course you do. You're a cool girl. You know how to throw a football. You probably can change a tire. Guess what? She can. (laughs) Well, Pam does throw the football right into Meredith's face. We got some mail about this from Rohit Ow, who wanted to know, how did we do this scene? Did you really hit Kate in the face with a ball? And if so, how many times did you have to film it? Let me tell you, I rewatched this episode with my daughter, Isabel, and I had forgotten about that moment. When it happened, we were both like, (gasps) and Isabel said, Mom, I think she really got hit in the face. It looks like she got hit in the face. And I said, Isabel, no way. There is no way they threw a football at Kate's face. So I texted Kate and I said, Kate, Isabel thinks you really got hit in the face with that football. And she said, Isabel's not wrong. (laughs) That's what she texted back. And I said, Kate, you have to send in an audio clip about this moment. And she did. Here it is. Hey, it's Kate Flannery. There's a scene where Pam throws the football to Andy in the parking lot, but Meredith's face gets in the way. And for some reason, I was insistent on doing my own stunt. There was a stunt double there, but she did not work that night. Uh, For some reason, I thought it was funnier. It's always funnier to me when an actor can do their own stunt, but I didn't realize where the camera was. And my back was sort of to the camera, so it kind of could have been anybody. Uh, Yeah, but um, I will say they deflated the ball a little bit, which was supposed to help, but I don't really think it did. I remember Ken Whittingham was directing, and I just remember, I think we did eight takes, and uh, we weren't done. We weren't done. And I just kind of felt like after the eight, as the, when we hit number eight, I was like, this was a really stupid idea. <laughs> uh, and um, I slept really well that night. I don't think I had a concussion or anything, but I had the weirdest dreams. It was kind of exhausting. And um, yeah, don't try this at home, kids. Okay, Ange, I want to lead with it's not the same as being the person who's getting hit in the face with the ball. But it is not fun to be the person who has to throw a ball at their friend's face eight times. Eight balls to the face. That sounds wrong. But you know what I mean. (laughs) That's eight balls. Well, I would throw it and I was trying to make it not that hard hitting her face. And, you know, that was probably one of the reasons why we had to do so many takes, because eventually Ken got me aside and said, Jenna, you need to throw the ball in her face because it's hitting her lightly. And we just need one where you hit her in the face with the ball. And I was like, oh my gosh. Well, you have to believe that Pam knows how to throw a football. You have to sell it. So you would have chunked it. (laughs) But man, Kate saying, you know what? I want you to hit me in the face. Thank you for providing a stunt double, but I'll I'll take this one for the team. Uh, Yeah. 
Way to go, Jenna. She had weird dreams. Way to go. I know. I'm sorry. Well, back in the club number two, Michael thinks he's met the love of his life. In fact, he wants to introduce her to his mom. He's so happy. And the camera operator kind of gives a little nod. She's over chatting someone else up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here's the camera getting involved. I feel like the documentary crew normally does this with Pam and not so much with Michael. Yeah. It was nice that they sort of helped Michael not go too far down that imaginary relationship road. We've already done that with the chair model. So let's just, Michael, we'll dose a reality. Take it easy. Yeah. Well, Ryan, meanwhile, is talking about an impending nuclear holocaust and jungle warfare. Mm -hmm. And then he takes the dance floor and starts dancing like a crazy person. And like shoves a girl and she shoves him back. And now it's looking like it's going to be a brawl. Michael's talking to his mom, as you do in the club. Right. And he's like, Mom, I got to go. My friend's getting beaten up by some girls. Well, have you know, Angela, we did employ a stunt person to do those fight scenes with Ryan. So all good there. Mm-hmm. All of these shenanigans lead to the group getting escorted out of the club. Troy makes a run for it, says, hey, don't take him to a hospital, and literally runs away. <laughs> yes. Well, we had to ask Noel what it was like to just shoot all of these club scenes. This was really an epic shoot. And here's what he had to say. Shooting the nightclub scenes were fun to do. I don't really remember any kind of improvising during those few scenes in the Night Out episode. There was no really breaking character. I tried to stay professional. And um, the only kind of stuff that was funny during the scenes was um, the scenes with BJ and Steve, where he says, why won't the girls let me dance? And um, I would get a lot of recognition from my don't take him to a hospital line where I'm like running down the dark alley. But another fun story was later there was a day where we ended up shooting quite late and they had actually dismissed Steve Carell and I was left last on set shooting a monologue at past midnight. And that day I had a 7 a.m. call. So I was dead tired shooting this monologue over and over again, which we did eventually get. But leaving at 1 a.m. or so was quite interesting that day. Well, I really relate to what Noel said here because Many times I had talking heads at the end of the day and you're so tired and half of the cast has gone home and you're trying to focus. But yes, if you go to the deleted scenes, there's a talking head by Troy where he totally denies his role in helping Ryan get drugs. (laughs) Well, we were also curious, Angela, to hear how often does Noel get recognized from being on The Office? Because he was in several episodes and here's what he had to say. Oh, the big question. Do I get recognized? But I do get recognized here and there at Starbucks or even during outings with my family when I'm just going to a dinner at a restaurant. A busboy will even say, weren't you on the office? Which is just kind of a crack up to me. But I think the furthest recognition I got was a vacation trip to Hawaii. And a young lady in a store was actually chatting with my mom and asked if her son was on the office and she was all excited and actually asked me to come back and get a picture with her, which is 
a blast to do. It's just kind of funny to me. But I'm always open to like signing autographs or taking pictures with fans. I actually quite enjoy it. And I just loved everything about The Office. It was so much fun to do, but I always loved being around everybody. So sweet. So sweet. Back in the lobby, Hank is still not there. He hasn't even left his house yet. I would dare to say Hank is in no hurry yeah. to go get them. No. Meanwhile, in the lobby, Toby is cracking the jokes, feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah. Pam is laughing at Toby's jokes. And he is so pleased with himself that without knowing it, he puts his hand on Pam's knee and then, like, kind of strokes it with one finger, like his index finger. He kind of does a little swipey swipey back and forth. And everyone clocks it. It is so cringy and awkward. So then Toby announces very suddenly that he's moving to Costa Rica. He runs out the door, hops the fence, and jogs home. Hops the fence? This is no hop the fence type of fence. I rewatched this. This is a scaling over a wall type of fence. It is really tall. When did Toby get so athletic? I also did screen grab. You can clearly see the stuntman. All right. Well, we got some fan mail about that from Emily, Abby, Christy, and Ellie. Was that really Paul Lieberstein jumping over the fence? No. I reached out to Paul, and Paul told me that he was willing to do it. He offered to try, but they explained that we would have to shoot the scene multiple times, which increased the possibility for injury, and so they insisted on hiring a stunt person. He also said, quote, Obviously, I'm a guy who does his own stunts, but I had to put the show first. <laughs> well, Paul, I get it. You wanted to do it. They said no. So you had to do what they said. I want to say something, Angela. I remember that we shot this scene very, very late on a Friday night. It was like 2 a.m. And I think that that also increases the risk of injury. I think you should not attempt to do your own stunts at 2 a.m. So I think it was a wise move. Especially one that involves basically scaling something that's one story high. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's a really tall fence. It really is. He could have easily twisted an ankle or broken an arm. We had a fan theory by Carolyn G. Since Toby jumps the fence with such apparent ease, it shows that he's someone who might be able to escape the police. Mm. Is this added evidence that Toby is the Scranton Strangler? I asked Paul about this. His response was, sounds smart. Mm-hmm. Dun-dun-dun. Perhaps if you were the Scranton Strangler, you might have to set up residence outside of the country. Wow, that's a good point. Just saying. Well, hold up. What's happening? The cleaning crew has arrived. Yes. And the cleaning crew lets them out. Everyone is thrilled. Still no Hank. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back in New York, the guys arrive at Ryan's apartment and Dwight and Michael, they're going to crash there for the night. They're kind of fighting over the sofa. Well, I want to say something about this apartment. It looks like a one-bedroom studio. And I really appreciated that because I always thought the apartments on the show Friends were ridiculous. I lived in New York. No one could afford those things. No. So I appreciated that Ryan had a very modest apartment in New York. I mean, it was very messy, but I'd like to point out at 18 minutes, 59 seconds, 
he's got an enormous flat screen TV. Mm. Yeah. I wish we could have had a moment where Michael clocks that. Me too. <laughs> and like maybe it was on an arm and he pulled it out and it actually went further than two inches. That would have been amazing. Well, Dwight is going to sing Ryan a lullaby. And we had a fan question about it, Angela, from Cameron D. and Joe S. Did the writers make up the lullaby that Dwight sings to Ryan? Or is it real? I think Rain improvised that moment. That's my guess. It's so much better than that. What? This is a real lullaby? And our script supervisor, Veda, taught it to Rain. Amazing. Yes, it was one that her Austrian grandmother used to sing to her. But here is something that Mindy revealed in an interview. She said they never found out what the words meant. Veda just wrote it out phonetically for Rain right before the scene. So he could be singing like some creepy stuff. We don't know. Okay. As Ryan is going to sleep, he tells them he thinks his friend Troy might have a drug problem. And I think we all know who he's talking about. Michael gives him horrible advice and then looks to Cameron and says, best night ever. Yeah. Michael has a talking head where he said, you know, this whole time in his life, it's not the horniness, it's the loneliness. But how could he be lonely when he's with his boys? Like a famous person once said, boys on the side. Let's hear it for the boys. <laughs> well, I would not want to be Jim Helpert on Monday because Hank shows up sees that none of them are there, and goes, son of a bitch. You know, I did have to wonder, Angela, did Hank not notice all of their cars in the parking lot when he chained it for the night? Or was he just like, listen, these guys didn't give me a bonus. I don't know. I'm leaving. There's probably a bit of that. <laughs> they didn't call me. They didn't give me a bonus. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Good luck, a-holes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was night out, you guys. Thank you so much for sending in your questions and your comments. Yeah, thank you to Kate Flannery and to Noel Peacock for sending in your audio clips. And to Terry Carnation. Terry, <laughs> you were supposed to leave our Zoom. I've been here the whole time. Cassie. Cassie. This has been a delightful conversation. I'm definitely going to watch this episode of television. It looks fantastic. But my theory holds up. The building is definitely possessed. All right, well... Okay, Cassie. Thank you for listening to the Office Women podcast. This is Terry Carnation, host of Dark Air with Terry Carnation. You've been wonderful. We'll see you next week, guys. Cassie, hit the button. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our show is executive produced by Cody Fisher. Our producer is Cassie Jerkins. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE. <laughs>